Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello, and welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. This season, we are talking about and tackling climate smart agriculture. You're going to love this conversation. I'm so excited to talk to Paul Lightfoot. It's been a minute since we've talked. I think you're the only person I've ever had on the podcast twice. And I was uh, thinking about our last conversation, and we talked a lot about oyster and beer. (laughs) So (laughs) it's great to have you. Two topics that remain dear to my heart. Yeah. So Paul is now the general manager of Patagonia Provisions. He's also the chair board of Regenerative Organic Alliance. He was the founder of the CEA Food Safety Coalition. He was on the board of IFPA. He was the founder and CEO of Bright Farms and many, many other things that I'm not going to list out. So you've really been in the industry for a long time. And I usually, I usually don't do tell me about your journey podcast. That's not usually where I go, but I think just because of your journey and where you've been, I'd really love to hear just going back a little bit. And, and, and part, part of what I'm trying to do is just get the, the evolution of your thinking, especially around sustainability and the evolution of where that took you from a business sense. So that's kind of my aim. So let's start with Bright Farms and why you started it and what part kind of thinking about sustainability and climate really had to do with you starting the company? You know, I was at the end of my 30s and I had been a technology entrepreneur. I'd run a couple software companies for maybe 12 years or, or a little bit less at that time. And I, I think what I realized was that I wanted my personal passions to be completely overlapping with my career. I didn't want to be working in stuff that wasn't what I cared about most. And, uh, you know, I'd been running a company that improved the, su- the supply chains and distribution centers of retailers. It was interesting. It was a good career, but it wasn't, wasn't lighting my fire. Uh-huh. And so I'd become increasingly interested in how food was good or bad for both my family's health and also for the planet's health. And I just sort of came up with an idea that I thought would give me a chance to make a career out of working on food like that. I, I could see, by the way, this was sort of, you know, uh, I'm 53, so my, my birthdays are on the same as the decades. I was born in 1970. So, like, in, in 2010, when I really started getting going with Bright Farms, I could tell that local food was going to become a big trend in grocery, like it was already in table service restaurants, which was echoing what had happened in uh, organic food, you know, maybe 15 years earlier. And I just thought to myself, well, that's a trend that I could see is going to happen. And I want to be part of that trend. And then I I looked a little bit further and I could see that the salad industry was a, was an oligarchy essentially, you know, sort of in the Salinas industry, not, not that far south from where you are. Mm -hmm. And it was vulnerable. I could see that it had a lot of headwinds in terms of rising transportation costs, food safety problems, but importantly, it was taking some of the nation's most valuable farmland and it wasn't doing it any favors. It was, you know, turning soil into dirt. And so I thought it was vulnerable. I could do something that I was proud of. Uh, and it'd be an opportunity to sort of do well and do good at the same time. You were so ahead of your time. You know, as I just came off our big show down in Anaheim and 
Abby Pryor and I have run the CEA council. And so we have 45 people of all companies that most of them didn't exist when, you know, in 2010. And we were all sitting around talking about what you just said and trying to figure out how to communicate that to retailers and consumers. And so it's, it's just amazing yeah. <laughs> uh, to me to hear you say that, you know, from 2010 and we're still moving forward. I mean, CEA wasn't even an acronym, you know, there just wasn't anybody doing it when you started. No, in the first several years, you know, nobody, nobody was, nobody was telling the story. I mean, honestly, no one, no one believed it. You know, like I, I must yeah. have kissed a hundred frog trying to raise for Series A financing. And, but, you know, the story for retailers was a real wholesome story. Like we would, get, we would sort of use charm and energy to talk our way into a pilot. And we would look at the spins data for that pilot. And we always showed that, the, you know, the category was like this and we would jump, we would join the category and their dollar sales would rise, you know, 25 to 40% and stay at that level. And so it was a fantastic selling story. People wanted local produce. People wanted salads that would last longer. I couldn't have predicted all of that when I started, but I knew there was an opportunity there. Yeah, that's really exciting. And yeah. I can't I can't let you mention Abby's name without saying that the success of Bright Farms was created by her, by Josh Norbury, but the, the two of them were the workhorses that that uh, you know remain some of my favorite people in the world. Oh, great. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> so now you've kind of been out of the produce industry a little bit. And so you know the industry well, and, and you're obviously a real visionary. So what do you, talk a little bit about what you see and what do you think we're doing right now as regards to sustainability and climate smart? And, and where do you think we can make some improvements? I'm going to answer your question a little bit differently than you expect, probably. When it comes to doing climate smart produce agriculture, it starts with just doing more produce agriculture, right? If we shift America's diet away from ultra-processed foods and, and factory meats to, to produce, we're inherently going to improve our, our carbon footprint and we're going to reduce our impact on the environment. So I think the first thing I would do is just recognize that you guys are better than the other categories of food. And I think you should take the fight to them. You know, the, this like processed food that's plant-based is better. That's that's a stupid idea. Like you guys are the actual plants that make people healthy. The idea that our, our, the USDA with one hand says you should eat fruits and vegetables and with the other hand subsidizes you know, conventional grains that are growing ethanol and growing feed for feedlot beef. That is the wrong way to run the country. You know, those, those foods are destroying the planet. They're making people die more soon. I think you guys should take that fight right to them and, and call them for being worse actors than the produce industry is. Hmm. How would you, should you do that? Pick up your pitch, pick up your pitchforks. <laughs> I mean, just, I, but you know, I remember being on the board of, of, of United Fresh and saying, we would go to Capitol Hill and ask for very small things. And I would say, why aren't we asking them to spend less on subsidizing factory beef? And, you know, people were just like, oh, man, that's going to piss people off. And I was like, yeah, let's piss some people off. <laughs> I mean, today, the leading cause of, of death in this country is like chronic disease related to diet. And it ain't the fruits and vegetables. It's the yeah. processed foods and the factory meats. Like, yeah, I would pick up my pitchforks and go to Capitol Hill again and and tell them that their system is ruining everything. Yeah, another huge trend <laughs> that's gotten a lot 
louder since you've kind of been involved is, is really the health and the nutrition aspect and, and really, really realizing that getting people to eat more produce is going to make them healthier, which is going to help with healthcare, which is going to help with so many different things. And just some of the, the battles that we are fighting around WIC programs and, and taking away support systems to mothers and infants and, you know, giving them less produce. There's just, there's, it's crazy. You know, some of the things that are, that are negative and don't make any sense in the impact that they're having. Completely. I'll answer the question in in one more way, if it's okay. Okay, sure. Um, We have plenty of time. (laughs) Conventional grown fruits and vegetables are better than almost all of the food. So we can feel good about agriculture that's grown fruits and vegetables, no matter how it's grown. But organic is, is better because you're not using synthetic fertilizers, which are generally made from fossil fuel. You're probably using less herbicides and pesticides. But even organic isn't enough if you want to get to the best that you can be. In that case, it's regenerative organic, right? So, and I go back to like what I would see in Salinas, organic fields growing lettuces and spinach were organic. They, they sort of fit the OMRI compliance requirements, but they weren't regenerating the soil. Right. And so... I would encourage everyone to just keep thinking about the next level, which is regenerative organic, which not only is avoiding you know synthetic uh, inputs, but it's also building soil organic matter. It's improving profits for the farmers. It's better for biodiversity, nutrition, water infiltration, waterways, but also drawing carbon from the atmosphere, right? So we, if we have a really clear lens on the role of the food system in, in the climate crisis, it's definitely going to be regenerative organic. That's the key. So I'd encourage as many of your members as possible to learn what that means and to try to get certified and to gain the higher prices and the faster growth that is rewarded to brands that have regenerative organic agriculture. Cause it's definitely, um, especially with young people resonating. So how, how do you think we do that with, with growers, especially growers who have spent the time that they've spent to get certified organic and even the ones that haven't and, with regenerative right now, there's no guarantee that we're going to get a higher price point, you know, to get that premium. So how, how do you think that shift is going to happen? Because obviously I, I agree with you and there's a lot of people looking at this and part yeah. of the programs that we're doing, you know, at IFPA with the Climate Smart grant from USDA, you know, we're trying to get adoption and, you know, just trying to keep that going. But it's, you know, what, what are some ideas that you have there? So there's no guarantee you'll get a higher price. There aren't that many brands that are ROC right now. At the food business of Patagonia, we're essentially committing to all of our food being ROC certified going forward. We generally go directly to the farmers and work out a deal with them before they plant their fields. Now, that's a pretty unusual thing for a brand to do, but we're, you know, we're the tip of the spear. We're willing to take risks that businesses aren't because our mission is about the impact on the planet. So the first thing I would say is, you know, they should think about, you know, who out there might want those products and, and talk to them directly. But the SPINS data is quite clear. And maybe I could send you some data you can put in the show notes. But yeah, there right. are really clear data points right now that's saying, you know, organic is growing like 5%. Regenerative organic certified is growing like 12% and commanding a price premium. So it's it's not a huge leap to say I'm going to do better. And just anecdotally, I was, I was on a panel yesterday after a screening of the film Common Ground, which is the sequel to Kiss the Ground, um, yeah, I haven't with a grocer. Yeah, right? I, I haven't been able to oh, find it. Yeah, I'm looking fabulous. forward to seeing it. Yeah, it's yeah. fabulous. Where is it playing it, in Mill Valley somewhere? Where did you see it up there? It was playing in San Rafael yesterday afternoon and in, in San Francisco last night. 
Yeah, just look look it up, Common Ground. You'll find you'll find screenings. One of the best sort of natural independent grocery chains in the region was on stage with me. And afterwards, we were just chatting. I was telling him how much I loved his stores. They're called Good Earth Natural Foods. And he said, you know, I want to do more with your generative organic. And we agreed on the spot. Let's create a set of RO products, you know. And, and I think that, you know, Kroger's not there yet, probably, right? But the natural grocers that are focused on, you know, the most environmentally environmentally interested consumers, they probably are there already. So that's a case, again, where the, the, the farmers growing that stuff are going to find that reward probably right away. With organic, part of it is just the time that it takes to get certified. There's a period of time where you're not going to get a premium when you're transitioning. Is is that, are the practices that you're looking at, do, do farmers see return on investment right away? Or are they losing money for a certain period of time until the soil gets built up? Or how does that look? So it depends on where they start, right? I'll just give you one example. We make crackers from regenerative wheat from the Skagit Valley of Washington. Most of it's coming from a farm called Headland Farms, H-E-D-L-I-N. And Headland was already an organic certified farm with regenerative practices. And when we entered that business, we basically said, hey, we need you to become regenerative organic certified. And, you know, they were sort of like, well, that sounds like there's a cost there, an administrative burden. And we actually, we agreed to cover that that cost and, and to take on that burden because it was important to us, more important to us maybe than it was to them. They were already doing the practices. So in that case, they didn't change their practices. Their practices were already compliant. Mm-hmm. It was a matter of sort of, you know, administrative work and paperwork. It wasn't a huge cost, by the way, but it was, you know, we wanted the certification to give a signal to our consumers. But there's some farms that are organic already that don't have much work to do. If they do have to get to organic first, well, then they have to do that transition and they're sort of facing the same opportunities and obstacles that anyone else would going through that that journey. The good news, by the way, is there are a lot of sources of finance right now that want to support this. One that comes to mind is like Iroquois Valley Farmland REIT. You know, they're in the business of providing farmer-friendly financing to finance this transition. And we're seeing more and more sources of capital showing up like that. So I'm optimistic that there's a lot of momentum building around that. So how would, if someone wanted to make that transition, how would they find those sources of funding? You know, there's every fall, there's a, uh, a an event called the RSFI, Regenerative right. Food Systems Investment Summit, where all the sources of capital interested in regenerative organic are there. They should also just reach out to the Regenerative Organic Alliance, you know, which is a nonprofit that administers the RO certification disclosure. I'm, I'm on the board and I'm the chair of the board. But, you know, we could probably put you in touch with whatever you needed. To, to know. Membership is surging. We just passed a million acres certified and it's growing leaps and bounds and, and we've got the resources to help people. So what is the certification process and are you doing that or is that a third party or how are you certifying? In some cases, I think so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you more than I know probably, but, but I'll, I'll do my best <laughs> too. I think in many cases, they're the same certifying bodies. The ROA sort of lays out the standards and independent certifiers do the certifying. And I think in some cases, the same certifiers that do organic. So there's, by the way, there's, a, there's, there's like three pillars. One is soil health, which is where you see a lot of the organic standards. The second is animal welfare. And the third is farm worker welfare. You know, the, the idea is that when you're buying RO certified products, you know that animals have not been treated poorly. And you know that the workers there have been paid fairly and treated well as well. 
so is there, are there audits that go on that go and look at that or how, how does that work? Yeah, it's, it, there are audits. It's actually super rigorous. That's, that's yeah. why we help that farm out with the administrative burden. It's, it is a burden. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it is a, it is a certification that can be trusted, which is designed that way. Yeah. And just now that we get into it a little bit, the, the history is that, you know, Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's and the Rodale Institute, Rodale is a nonprofit that helped, you know, set up the original organic standards. The three organizations together stood up the ROA. Bronner's and Patagonia provided a lot of the initial funding and some of the initial board members. And it's now an independent nonprofit that is just going out in the world and, and, and helping farmers make that transition happen. And it's, it's been a great experience for many of them. Uh, when was it started? I didn't even know that. You're asking all the hard questions. I would guess four years ago, but I was at Bright Farms back then. But I, I think about four years ago it began. Yeah. And you're on the board and of that as well? I am. And it's, it's, uh, it's super rewarding. It's, if, you know, when you sit down and think about the impact of the food system and agriculture on the climate crisis you know it's it's anywhere from a a quarter to 40 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions is from food most of it from conventionally grown row crops that are that are you know not really feeding humans in a way that makes them healthier and converting to regenerative organic it doesn't just reduce the impact it has the chance to actually regenerate right like patagonia makes a lot of apparel and we're working hard to get our impact as close to zero as possible but we think that with food, we can get better than zero, which is why Patagonia is in the food business. We think that, that food grown regeneratively can actually sequester carbon, be better for the soil, be better for the planet. So let's move into talking about Patagonia. I didn't realize that Patagonia was in the food business so much and what it was doing. So tell us about what Patagonia is doing in food and then also your role. I also did not know that Patagonia was in the food business when I got a phone call from a recruiter right as I was at the tail end of my transition away from Bright Farms. I'd hired my successor. We'd sold the business to Cox Enterprises. And I was writing a newsletter, you'll remember, about uh -huh. regenerative agriculture. I actually published an, an edition that was my, my, my personal manifesto for the rest of my career. And it described a, a segment of my career that's very similar to what I'm doing now. So it, it I think oh, it shows excellent. you that this woo-woo California manifestation stuff might work. <laughs> the food business at Patagonia was founded with a really clear understanding that the mission of Patagonia is to save our home planet. That's why all the activities are at Patagonia have that in mind. There's no ESG group. There's no chief sustainability officer. We're all in the business everybody. of yeah. planetary impact. And at some point, you know, Yvonne Chouinard really studied, and he's a, a deep thinking man, he really studied the natural solutions to the climate crisis and realized that agriculture was at the heart of the problem, but also at the heart of the solution. And the company basically decided, and and, and um, at the time the CEO was, was a woman named Rose, who's now an investor in regenerative agriculture, the company decided that we needed to be in the food business so we could create opportunities for farmers and fishers that were producing food responsibly. Patagonia has a brand that's the number one trusted brand in the country. It has really strong brand awareness. And we just thought we had a role to play in converting consumer demand to food that's, that's farmed regeneratively. And so that's, that's what we're doing. It's a, a relatively small business within Patagonia. But, you know, Yvonne Chouinard has said publicly he thinks it should eventually be the most important part of 
Patagonia. And just a few weeks ago, in case I'd forgotten, he, he reminded me that that was his expectation. <laughs> asked oh. me if I was nervous and I said I said no this is why I'm, this is why I'm here like this is my yeah this is my life's work you know I, I would admit that I really love it here like it's it's not a perfect organization there are, there's no such thing as a perfect organization but there's nobody cynical here everybody cares it's cool to care everybody sort of understands that we're in this for the sake of the planet and you know, if they'll let me, I'm never going to work anywhere else. I, I like to say, I, you know, I'd fold sweaters at the store at Fisherman's Wharf if the food business didn't work <laughs> out for me because it really is a dream culture to work at. Oh, that's great. So what are the main goals and however you want to talk about it? But when, when you look at what you have to have done by the end of the year or how you're doing it or how you're having impact, how, how do you talk about that? I presented to our board a few weeks ago and almost all I talked about was impact. I probably spent four minutes of the 90 minutes on the financials. You know, it's, it's an organization that truly takes a long view on everything. Uh, it understands that margins are important and profitability is required in order to succeed. More than that, quality is required. You know, if your impact won't matter much if your quality is not good enough. But that said, it's, it's all about impact. You know, it's all about high quality products and impact. I've been here for about a year and a half. And, you know, the first thing we did, and, you know, the company had been in a really exciting, almost experimental phase where there weren't financial expectations on it for its first several years. It was build some really fun, exciting supply chains that were doing good in the world and supporting farmers doing interesting things. You know, now we're growing up a little bit. You know, I, I'm tasked with making it commercially scalable. So the first thing we did, we sort of rationalized our portfolio, really focused on the ones that we thought could, could get us somewhere. And when we think today about where we're going, we have a clear idea that we have sort of two super categories of products. The first are, are seafood products, which cannot be regenerative organic certified. You can't get organic certification for, for wild fish. And we have our own standards that are based on, there's no, there's nothing that's not from species that are thriving or stable, but, but otherwise, you know, doing well, we can't have, fish that's coming from practices that are extractive or destructive. So no dragging, no trawling, no excessive use of fossil fuels. And the third is that there can't be wild caught fish in either bait or feed, which means that, you know, like 99.9% .9 of all seafood doesn't meet our standards. It's very difficult to meet those three sort of segments, but, but, but we do do that. So that's the first thing is, is getting humans delicious seafood protein that, that meets the standards. And then the second is just creating market opportunities for regenerative organic certified farms. And we do actually talk about our impacts in terms of the number of farms that, that are, that are ROC. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think back to that board presentation. I talked specifically about Dave Headland at Headland Farms and like how many acres he's doing regeneratively, how much more he's going to do next season because of us. I talk about Luke Peterson at A-Frame Farms in Minnesota, who's also growing more and more ROC for us and Upland Organics and Saskatchewan. So we have direct relationships with these farms and they're expanding their regenerative farmland for the sake of the, the demand that we're creating in the marketplace. And I think that's by far the most important metric. I'd be lying if I didn't admit that I had my, my weekly Monday revenue huddle today where we looked at velocities and revenue as well. So, so we where does run your the revenue business. come from in that, in that business? It's coming from, you know, Whole Foods and, and Sprouts and, you know, we're selling okay. these products at grocery and they give us money that their consumers give them. And then 
we turn around and give that money to the farmers and fishers that are doing things the right way. Okay, great. Very cool. Well, so what, what was your revenue huddle? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Was it a good huddle? <laughs> well, it's a huddle, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. But, you know, we generally talk about our most important KPIs being impact, being yeah. is converted. But it's still, you know, we're in business to save our own planet. It's still a business, right? So we still get together on Mondays and say, where are we in our, you know, our revenue against plan? What are our velocities? How many doors are we in? I would have like a last message, which is that people in the produce industry that are regenerative, organic, curious, should indeed reach out to the ROA or reach out to me directly if they want. And it's early days still. There aren't that many produce companies in the space. And it is the time where we can create products together. You know, if people are growing things in a certain way and they're looking for, you know, branded food to be made from their ingredients, bring it to us. Like we will design the products. You know, we are committed to finding market opportunities for regenerative organic certified farms. That's more important to me than anything else. So bring it. Great. Excellent. Well, Paul, it's great to catch up with you. And I really appreciate your vision and your impact and keep at it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. A pleasure. That's it for today's episode of Fresh Takes on Tech. This entire season on Climate Smart Agriculture is funded in part by a grant from USDA for Climate Smart Commodities. See you next time.